Welcome to season four of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. Live from a cafe in central London, this is your 14th favourite social good show, the Do More Good Podcast. Always room for improvement, Jimbo. Here we are, James, episode number 52 of the Do More Good Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. I'm good. Special episode tonight, right? Back again. Yeah. Hey, yeah. We've been seeing a lot of each other recently. <laughs> we have. Yeah. <laughs> Was it three nights in a row? Should we fact? talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've got a bit of a special one tonight, isn't it? Something a little bit different. We're going international. Global, aren't we? Global. Yeah. That's the right term. You're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. We always try to do things face to face, but sometimes situations occur, opportunities arise. And you've got to grab them with both hands. And we couldn't evening, miss this one, could we? No, you're right. We couldn't. And 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 we were contacted by Nikki, who said, "Would you would you be interested in in talking to the infamous Ken Burnett?" Um, BDIF. BDIF is yeah. We haven't heard that term in a while. But yeah, we'll be talking to to Ken Burnett today. So a few people probably recognise his name, a, a famous face around the fundraising um, space. I remember when I first got into fundraising, and so this is five six years ago and I think I'll talk about it in the interview in a second, reading one of his books and thought it was brilliant. It just gave me a really good grounding, some really interesting ideas, and uh, I think he's done quite a few books since then, so it'll be really interesting to talk to him. He's the, he's the Dan Brown of the fundraising world. The Dan yeah. Brown, exactly. But our podcast at the football seemed to go down well, didn't it? I know, the one that we, the one that we put, I, I don't know whether our listeners could tell, but the least preparation into yeah. turns out to be the most commented on one that we've, we've had, which is somewhat disappointing, but also nice to, nice to see. Lovely I mean, to see there. Yeah, 35,000 downloads in one day. I, I know, right? I know. Yeah. We wish. But no, it was fun, actually. But yeah, I did listen back to it. I thought... I wish we'd done a little bit more prep and thinking about actually what we were going to talk about. Yeah. But it seemed to work really well. And your editing was absolutely spot on. I loved that bit at the start with the old the old dial tone on the phone when you were, uh, when you were ringing it round. Yeah, it was it was, a, it was well done, very mate. Good. So a Google search on some sounds there. Did yeah. you? Yeah, I wish I'd, I I wish we'd done a bit more prep and I put some money on the result. Yes, oh, I know like you predicted it. Out there. You did. You yeah. did very well on that. You did very well on that. Yeah. Uh, who would have thought, yeah, what would you got on 4 0? You would have pretty got a good I could have bought around, couldn't I? You could have bought around, yeah. yeah. Well, you can get them tonight. Um, so, shall we, uh, shall we introduce the guest and jump into the interview? So, yeah, as we've just touched on, so we wanted to speak to, to Ken about um, the upcoming Iwitot uh, events that are coming on in the, in the UK. Ken is the, one of the founding members of uh, Sophie, who actually arranged the Iwitot. And having spoke on the stage myself, you know, I can say they're absolutely fantastic events, which would definitely encourage people to kind of get involved and go along. So I guess this week started his career in 1977 as the UK Director of Action Aid. Uh, worked through a number of roles there as Director of Fundraising and Communications before leaving in 1982. Over that time, he's taken on a number of different roles um, before founding his own consultancy in, in, in 82. And actually, Burnett Associates Limited went on until 2001. He was one of the founding trustees of, as we've talked about, Sophie, which has founded Iwitot. And he was also now a trustee for the Resource Alliance in 1993 till 1999. So he's actually, he's been a, 
around in in that realm as well. Oh, I mean, I'm just looking back over this guy's CV and, the, you know, the names that just jump out of it. Um, but really what we wanted to talk to him t- today about was, was, his, was his trustee status at the Showcase of Fundraising, Innovation and Inspiration. So without further ado, with the, the probably the worst intro peeled together off the back of LinkedIn ever, we'll introduce you to this conversation with Ken Burnett. Please enjoy. We're doing this by Skype. I better log in. <laughs> so... Ken, real pleasure to have you on the, the Do More Good podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I have to make a confession at this point, Ken. So as a, as a tweet you may have seen the other day, your, your book, The Zen of Fundraising, was one of the first that I read when I joined the sector. And I remember it being almost a springboard for my career into the sector. So I'll have to say thank you for that. And that's first great. I, did, I saw your tweet this morning. So um, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Nice to know. Good. So, Ken, you know, we'd like to, on the Do More Good podcast, obviously share a, a bit of people's backgrounds about their story into fundraising. Obviously, you've had a, a wealth of achievements in, in the sector, but, but would you mind just, just talking us through briefly where it all started for you and, and, and what got you to the position you're in today? Okay, thank you. Yeah, I um, have actually, I'm coming up for 43 years as a professional fundraiser. So I actually joined the sector in April of 1977, uh, which seems absolutely unbelievable and a bit bizarre given that most people tend to spend about 18 months in the fundraising business and then move on. Uh, I, my, mother used, my mother used to say to me, you know, when are you going to get a proper job? And... Um, and I never did really because because I love fundraising and um, uh, it's been a it's been a great uh, great experience um, uh, for me. But I, I started with the with the charity before it was named Action Aid. In fact, one of my claims to fame is that I gave Action Aid its name uh, because we changed our name and and rather like Oxfam a couple of decades before we um, we we opted for what was our telegraphic address uh, in those days when you had telex machines and things like that most organizations had a telegraphic address and action aid was the telegraphic address of an organization called action in distress we didn't like that name so we changed it to action aid yeah that is that is quite a claim to fame (laughs) it's unusual i mean the, the 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 thing was i um I actually used ActionAid initially because when I joined the charity, I discovered that we were trading illegally. We didn't have a proper trading company. So I needed a a name for a trading company and I picked the telegraphic address. And so ActionAid Trading and Promotions was founded. And then a couple of years later, when we changed the name of the charity, that that was the obvious choice to go for. And so, can you said you started in 1977. Yes, um, I know. Before the, electricity. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> the early, before the internet and before mobile phones and all of that, I can tell you. Yeah. So, what, what was it that, that led you into a career in, in fundraising? Good, good, good question. I was working in publishing and I had, was doing quite well. I, I was, uh, I mean, of course, I was only 11 years old at the time. And but no, I, wasn't. <laughs> I was, I was, um, I was uh, 
having a good um, good life really it wasn't too bad I, I was uh, living in North Kensington and uh, but I, I I kind of went home at night thinking you know I haven't really done much that that's useful and uh, so I decided to look around in the not-for-profit uh, space of, as um, as I found out it was called and um, my wife found an advertisement, which was rather a strange advertisement from an organization I'd never heard of, but it turned out to be the organization Action and Distress had been founded by a guy called Cecil Jackson Cole. He was the, he was the businessman behind Oxfam. He was one of the four people that formed the Oxford Committee for Famine Relief. And he had also started Help the Aged. He was a, a weird, a strange uh, character, very much a, in the mould of the Victorian philanthropists. And he um, decided that he'd founded Help the Aged, which was a charity for elderly people, and it was run by old people. Uh, who were, I mean, when I say old people, they were in their 50s. But he wanted to start Action Distress as a charity for young people, and he thought it should be run by young people. And so I eventually got the job of joint chief executive uh, uh, when at the, the prime ripe old age of 26. So I started uh, in a very small and emerging organization. I started at the top and really my career has gone downhill ever since. <laughs> um, so, but it was a great start and I worked with people like Harold Sumption, who was the architect of Oxfam's press advertising and founder of the International uh, Fundraising Congress in Holland, uh, and Sir Leslie Kirkley, who was the first director of Oxfam. And so, I, you know, I was lucky I was able to uh, uh, draw on a kind of a wider family of um, experience in the charity sector. and. We were very successful building Action Aid because it became known as the first direct marketed charity. And um, we were very good at recruiting supporters off the page. Uh, lots of lots of good stories. Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> how much you want to hear about those those early days, but in, it, it was very much sort of the kind of the rigor of testing and developing our propositions and then trying new trying new creative treat, treatments and new media and uh, developing different ways of recruiting supporters and um, we found that we could recruit high value monthly giving supporters very cost effectively and so we went for it and within about four years actually it was one of the top 20 fundraising charities so wow. it, was, you... it was a great time to 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 start. And at that time, of course, there was no institute of fundraising, there was no, no conferences, there were no, and there were no good books on fundraising. So one day I sat down and thought, I'll try and, I'll try and write one. Ken, I'm so, I just want to call out at this point, James, do you realise that Ken just used the term new media? See, I'm not ah. the only one. <laughs> Did I? He's probably I? seen your article. Yeah, well, well, exactly, have, James, and I don't know what it means, but um, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> Nobody James... knows what it means, but Kenneth was on the front cover of New Media Age once, and he hasn't shut up about it since. So, <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. a, a bit like you and you and the uh, the crowd you were just mentioning there. 
Do you, do you guys still stay in touch? Do you kind of lament the good old days and kind of the exciting times that it was? You mean the people that I worked with at that time? Um, yeah. We actually we had a reunion um, last October of people of the people who worked in Action Aid at the in the very early days. We all worked together in the you know late seventies, uh, and there was about ten or twelve of us met, and um, yeah, it was very nostalgic and emotional. Good <laughs> um, fun. So, yeah, but things have changed quite a lot since then, of course. And, but I think the grounding that I got in those, in those early days, I mean, that was fantastically useful for me. And so one of the things that I did then was I, I looked around when I came to leave ActionAid. I looked around and I thought, well, there's no good supplier agency that uh, particularly specializes in the not-for-profit sector so i decided to start an advertising and marketing communications agency specializing in charities and everybody said oh you're mad you know they'll never pay your bills uh, you know it's you, you there's no no future in it and um i thought rather differently and um i think my agency which was called burnett associates was the first company of its kind in Europe that's particularly specialised in working for not-for-profit organisations. And before long, we were working for most of the large charities um, and we were working around the world with people like Greenpeace and UNICEF and um, Amnesty and a uh, whole variety whole variety of others, NSPCC, National Trust, Lifeboats, and so on. So, um, and then that for me was the start of about 20 years running an, uh, uh, an advertising agency. So, Kenny, it, it, it sounds like from what, you were, what you're saying that you were, you were quite a visionary in terms of, the, obviously, the sector. You know, you talked about starting an agency. You talked about writing books. Well, I, I didn't think of it like that. I just looked around and saw opportunities and I thought, well, if nobody else is going to grab them, then uh, I will. Um, I guess I'm interested in, in, in where that came from, though. What, what was it about your kind of background or your, or, or your upbringing that kind of made you have that? that, that, that well, I, 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 was the, I was the, I'm the fourth in a, in a family of five children mm. and, um, and I grew up in the north of Scotland, you know, where, where it tends to be fairly um, cold and and, dreak, and a bit bleak. I think the formative experience of my childhood was that when, when we, you know, we, we lived in a very big old drafty house and we didn't have central heating. And so my mother and father would sit on either side of the fireplace. And, you know, if we wanted to watch telly, the children sort of radiated out from my mother. So my eldest sister was closest to the fire and then would come my elder brother, and then would come my middle brother. And I should have been next, but because my younger sister was a girl, she got moved up, and I got so... <laughs> so all of my siblings grew up just being heated, one half of their body being heated. But I was so far from the fireplace that nothing, nothing reached me. So I grew up with a smoldering resentment of being the youngest, what, being the outsider. Say, don't tell me, don't tell me they went on to get proper jobs as well and everything. They, they did, they did, they did. <laughs> and they've all retired at what was a respectable retirement age, and and they keep saying to me, you know, why are you, you know, why are you still working? And I say, it's because I love it, <laughs> and they don't understand that at all. 
so I yes, I don't know. I I don't know. I just think uh, the thing that attracted me to fundraising was that there are so many opportunities, and you know, it was just uh, it was like being let loose in a in a sweet shop. Uh, you know, I, uh, direct marketing was in its infancy. We hadn't, uh, you, you know, we direct mail inserts press advertising all of those vehicles were up for grabs there wasn't a lot of professionalism around so um rewriting the rule book was um was doable and it sounds like that's what excites you the the kind of being a pioneer and trying new things and innovation in that sense i think i'm i'm and i've never done the sort of myers-briggs type stuff um but i think i'm a starter in a you know I'm, I'm an initiator i'm not a completer finisher i'm i'm i've got very limited attention span i don't i'm not good at uh, the detail of things so i i've um, <laughs> always tried to employ or, or work with people who can pick up the mess that i create <laughs> um, <laughs> i know that uh, feeling <laughs> it, 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 no but it's it, it, it's true actually i think there is definitely something that i you know i i like to start things and um, and I've started a few things that have been quite successful, but I and I never talk about the things, the other things that are not that I start, you know. Um, so there. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that leads us on nicely, nicely, Ken, to to talking about Sophie and and I understand you. You know, you were a, you were a founding trustee of the organisation. It's it's obviously something that many fundraisers will have heard of, will have experienced, yeah. hopefully would have presented at. But I just wanted to, to ask about when, when you were one of those founding trustees, what, what were those initial aims, objectives, and, and, and how, you know, well, I'll, how I'll, tell you how it, I'll tell you how it started, because I think that that is quite instructive. I mean, uh, basically, I had uh, sold my interest in the agency around... 2001 um, and uh, I was looking for something to give back because I reckoned that I'd had a very good career in the not-for-profit sector I'd done reasonably well and it had been it had looked after me appropriately so I wanted to find something to give back and I was working on a with an organization called Bookade and we had set up a thing called the Reverse Book Club, which was an idea that I pinched completely and wholeheartedly and from the American Bible Society. Uh, the idea being Bookade delivers books. Um, it, it's actually a kind of like a clearinghouse for the UK publishing industry and it delivers books to hungry minds in Africa and Asia and um, parts of the world where there aren't developed library systems and things like that. And um, so we created the Reverse Book Club, the idea being just like a traditional book club where you could buy or get access to three books a month, but instead of them coming to you, they were sent to somebody who needed them in, um, in a developing country. And this idea, completely pinched from the American Bible Society. It just made me think that there's a market for recycling ideas. And I was just lucky. Mm. I knew that the American Bible Society had done this thing. So when Bookade got into a, a fairly critical situation, the story is, uh, of the Reverse Book Club is told on Sophie. 
And in fact, their director, Clive Nettleton, took me to lunch about a couple of years after this scheme had been started. And he he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he said, you know, without the Reverse Book Club, Bookade wouldn't have survived. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. But I was on my way to Australia, funnily enough, with my wife, uh, Marie, and we were on the uh, Heathrow Express. I said to her, you know, with this internet thing that's come along, what's needed really is an online free museum of best practice for fundraisers. So, and initially it was to try and kind of capture good, good reusable ideas, ideas that were worth borrowing, adapting. I'm a great believer. You don't just, um, I hate an inferior copy, but I think if you can take somebody else's idea and embellish it and improve it and update it, then, you know, that's why trouble to think of your own new idea if you can borrow somebody else's and it's the most sincere form of flattery if somebody takes your idea and adds to it so the idea of Sophie was actually born on that train ride with Maria and me and we just came up with this concept that's how it that's how it started and the other side effect of Sophie won't well, the main purpose of Sophie is to capture and preserve the history of fundraising uh, because it's so instructive. And of course, like most fundraisers, I tended to think, oh, well, you know, it was me and my chums who invented direct marketing. And, you know, before us, there was, there was this pointless void. When you dig deep, uh, I mean, I remember when I was doing my book, Relationship Fundraising, the head of fundraising at Bernardo's sent me a whole load of letters from Dr. Thomas Bernardo. And I thought, these are brilliant. You know, if I could write copy like this, wow. You know, so we put that on Sophie and then we found that there's a huge body of fundraising experience from Victorian times, particularly the, the golden age of philanthropy. And then, and then Mao Warwick in America sent me a letter from a Japanese monk called Ehi Dogen, who had been writing one of the best fundraising letters you'll ever read in 1236, I think it was. Wow. And, and then I discovered that the first matched funding appeal was uh, Pliny the Younger uh, had uh, evolved for a school in northern Italy. And then the first major do- donor dinner was held in uh, a thousand years before the birth of Christ. And actually the oldest exhibit on Sophie is uh, Moses and the children of Israel wandering in the desert three and a half thousand years ago when Moses ran a fundraising campaign to raise money for a tabernacle, which is a kind of portable church. It was so successful that Moses had to return some of the jewelry and the clothes that people had given because he exceeded his target. And I think that's rather nice that the first fundraising appeal should should go over target so much so that they have to return some of their donations. Can I so, love to get him on? Yeah, <laughs> you really, you, I mean, you probably could, actually. <laughs> but but, but the, the point is, you know, most people in fundraising are ignorant of their, their history. And I, I'm a great believer if you don't know uh, if you don't know where you are and you don't know where you've been, 
you're not likely to know where you're going. And so, you know, to know how we got to be where we are, what our past is, and to use that to inform our future. You know, I think I had a great advantage over lots and lots of other fundraisers because I simply knew more. Uh, and one of the advantages of being around for 43 years, and that there aren't many at this point, is that, you know, I've, I've probably made more mistakes than most people in the sector and hopefully picked up an idea. But I'm a great believer in David Ogilvie's analysis, which is, you know, the difference between a merely good surgeon and a great surgeon is that the great surgeon knows more. Uh, and I think that's true of good fundraisers and great fundraisers too. I think you just know more. And therefore, putting all of that together in the, the Sophie Showcase and making it free for people all around the world, uh, that, I decided, would be my kind of legacy to the fundraising sector. And I'm very lucky because Sophie's got... Sophie still... You know, I think it, it, it. we can't even afford a shoestring. We don't run on a shoestring. We haven't got any staff, any full-time staff. We have three part-timers uh, and we have a number of volunteers. And Sophie's got literally thousands of instructive and informative material for for fundraisers. Uh, and it's all there. It's, it's um, a little bit clunky. It could do with, um, could do with some help in um, keeping it up uh, to speed, using the best of technology and things like that. But it, it is manageable. It is searchable. You can, um, you can find it. And increasingly, I, we find that fundraising directors, when they get a new staff member, and in those first few weeks, it's often difficult to keep somebody busy. They will plonk them in front of the screen and plug in Sophie and, and just leave them to it. And that's fine because that's what it was intended for. It sounds like um, you've really invested your own time in, in, in development and, and learning and also kind of throwing yourself in at, the, in at the deep end and just trying things as well. But that feels really important for fundraisers at the moment to be to be investing their own resource and time in, in development and things like well, talk, I, can we really help with that i think we have to i actually i think that's a really good that's a really good point because i mean it brings me to one of my hobby horses and again i think i can say this hopefully um well i hope i will offend a few people actually because i think some people should be offended i think there's a there's a a, a leadership vacuum in fundraising and I think your chances of having a fundraising manager or director who will point you towards these things are, are relatively slim. Uh, fundraising managers themselves don't know what they don't know. Um, I'm sorry, I don't want to get into that known unknowns territory. But, you know, I think your chances of being guided by your manager, and, and there are plenty of brilliant exceptions to this, but your chances of being guided towards what you need to know as a fundraiser are quite slim. We need to really address this kind of leadership vacuum that there is in fundraising organizations. But one thing that they definitely uh, we we definitely should require is that people coming into the fundraising profession should know the basic fundamentals of their trade. You wouldn't be able to do that 
you know, as an electrician or as a, a painter or as a, as a doctor or, you know, any other or a lawyer or whatever. And yet you, anybody can come into fundraising and they don't, they don't have any requirement to know the essentials, to know the background, to know where the, 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 the sector has come from. You know, so on Sophie, we've tried particularly to focus on my first three weeks as a fundraiser and try and identify the things that a fundraiser needs needs to know. And that, that I do think is important. For much of my career, I've said, you know, I don't care whether you read my books or not, I just want you to buy them. Um, but really, <laughs> really... Now, as I get older, I realize that was wrong. And actually, I do want people to to listen and to know a little bit about... Um... Kenneth's going to need a bit of help with some of the longer words, though. That's going to be... I do too. And I've tried to... I mean, I really put a high premium on communication. I, I, and one of the problems with business books is that they're so endlessly dull. Ken, just picking up on your point that you mentioned there regarding the, the, the leadership vacuum, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by that because we, we read so much in the sector now about good leadership. And, and, and I, I like to think, at least from my personal experience, that you know I've seen some fantastic leaders, but I'm sure there's... No, there's, there's, no exactly, exactly. But why, why do you think we have that vacuum of, of good leadership in, in, in the sector? Well, I mean, one of the fundamental problems with our sector is we, we don't know the difference between cost and investment. I mean, again, that's, this is a sweeping generalisation. And of course, lots of organisations do invest in staff training. And I don't think we do enough. I, people tend to have been in their organisations for quite a long time before they are sent out and immersed in the cause. We don't invest enough in things like creative storytelling we're not great at, you know, to me, fundraising is communication. It's all about communicating our messages with power and passion that will move people to action. We don't averagely recruit brilliant, effective communicators. You know, I mean, these, this is a kind of a drum that I've been beating for quite a long time. And I'm, I'm not sure why anybody should listen to me any more now. Than they <laughs> if they are listening, then they should be, they should be investing in some tickets for Iwitot. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this, well, yeah, I, I tell you why they should invest in tickets for Uitot. It's because this is where they will fall in love with fundraising all over again. And I find so many people, you know, particularly after the Olive Cook uh, fiasco and the terrible sustained attacks on professional fundraising, um, the brilliant thing about Iwitot is that people fall in love with fundraising all over again because they see the energy and the vibrancy and the creativity and the, the, the passion that goes into these short seven-minute presentations. And, and that's what makes them so wonderful. And so, Ken, I'm, I'm sure you've attended several Iwitot event, events over the years. Um, I have personal you know. highlights. What's what's the, what's the, what's, the, what's the best one you've seen? Come on, we'll put you on the spot now. It's nine yeah, o'clock in the morning, in New Zealand. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there, I, I, there's there are so many. There are hundreds. I I think that that are low. I mean, the Amnesty ads, the Amnesty pen pack, the Crikey Writing Gardens. Uh, that are great. That are Bottom Village. That are great ones. But and Kenneth, my favourite. Well. Sorry. I think Kenneth has done one. 
Kenneth, have you? Ah. Oh, Ken, I'm surprised you haven't heard of it, to be honest. I, mean, it, it, <laughs> I, I, I think know. I have. Of course I have. I, I'm lying convincingly, I hope. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. He was, like, Kenneth, a, he was like a Japanese monk up there from 1236. You were, you were. And I, you, <laughs> It's second. It's, it's it's the second. It's that's the one I would have chosen if it wasn't for one hour. <laughs> uh, my favourite is a is and you'll find this if you search on Sophie is a, a short talk by a guy called Alfie Walden, called oh, Becoming, yes. Becoming the Bee, and he won we taught oh, about two or three years ago with the story of a woman, a ninety-one year old woman called Joan Bishop. <laughs> who dresses up as a bee and and she's 91 and she just delights in her persona and Alfie clearly delighted. I mean, Alfie's like 12 probably. And, you know, he's, you know, and she's 91 and, and Alfie is telling her story and he's so delighted about the things that this 91 year old woman gets up to in her bee costume to raise money for for her cause. Alfie's a wonderful chap. He's got a, he's developing a Twitter bio almost as impressive as yours actually because he's guest hosted the Do More Good podcast as well. From all right, well, um, let me tell you, there's one big difference between Alfie and me, and it's probably about seventy years, <laughs> no, <laughs> fifty years, fifty years. And so, good luck to Alfie because you know he's the future. Great, great. It's great to hear. And, and, and I wanted to ask you kind of, I know, you know, it's, it's, it's nine o'clock in the morning over there in New Zealand. I'm sure you've got a, a busy Sunday ahead of you. Oh, you're Monday now. All right. So I was going to ask you, Ken, one last question. If, if there's someone listening to this, who's, who's, who's maybe, you know, got a team of, of fundraisers, maybe a fundraising leader themselves, and they know that the, the Iwitot event is coming up on the 21st of April at Amnesty International, as well as a virtual event on the 22nd of April, why would why do you think they should encourage their team to attend? Well, I think it will give their team a great boost. You know, I'm a great believer that those with eyes will see and these things are what you make of them. So it's quite possible that somebody will sit there with their arms folded and say, entertain me and won't get very much out of it. But if your team is fired up and enthusiastic i think they will come back brimming with ideas there's what something like 18 different speakers all presenting an idea which they didn't think of themselves but also it's it's by studying what works for other people and what pushes other people's buttons is the best learning that a creative fundraiser can have. I have to say, I don't believe we have learned the lessons of the Olive Cook issue. My feeling is she should be the patron saint of fundraisers because they, the story that evolved from her unfortunate um, death, uh, I think gave us the warning and the call to action that our sector so dramatically needs to get its house in order but i don't think we've done it yet and i think our fundraising leaders need to see what needs to be done to put that right and one one great place to go to get that insight is is to the iritot events i think if you want to get on top of the challenges in the sector iritot's a very good place to start brilliant Ken, thank you so much for that. That's it's it's really great to hear someone such as yourself who's been a you know a pioneer in, in, in fundraising and 
you know, sharing sharing your story and, and just, just thank you from, from both of us for, for sharing that. I'm sure people well, will that, find it. That, that, that's my pleasure and thank you for giving me the opportunity. But one last thing I would like to say is that the, the pioneering is not done. You know, the things that excited me uh, 43 years ago, I, I actually think that every bit as big opportunities now. And I mean, actually showing people you know the power of giving what what this giving is good for you it's good for your brain it's good for your health and your and well-being you know it's about the meaning of life and purpose and fulfillment and i i actually think that the coming generation of fundraisers is a fantastic opportunity to move completely away from this high pressure hard sell 17 asks in a direct mail letter and start inspiring people to realize just you know the 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 role that effective giving has in in a healthy balanced and fulfilled and happy life i think that's a fantastic opportunity and i i hope young people will grab it with both hands those who do i'm sure will prosper and i hope will have as good a life uh, in fundraising as i've had perfect ken well look thank you very much i think we can uh, we, we, we i think we've got a great uh, that's a wrap that's a wrap i think we're done i think we can tie that up and we will hopefully get to meet you in person at some point but yeah thank you so much for your i time. would like that i would like that kenneth and james thank you very much indeed I'll, i will leave you uh, to to finalize this that's great perfect Lovely all right ken thank Take you care. cheers, cheers. Bye. okay so we're now joined by friend of the show nikki bell nikki how are you hey kenneth i'm good how are you yeah, really good. We're recording this a few weeks after actually recording the interview with Ken Burnett, and uh, a few things have changed in that time. Mm, just a few, yeah. <laughs> just, just a few. <laughs> in a very, very rapid time. So thank you for allowing me to redo this. Uh, no that is much problem. appreciated. No problem at all. Yeah, as, as we say, we, we, the, 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 the interview that you've just heard with Ken was, was recorded before coronavirus really took hold uh, with the whole of UK and put us on lockdown. So we're now just catching up with, with Nikki because uh, top still goes ahead, still soldiers on. And, and of course, you already had the virtual event. So what's the plans now, Nikki, with the, the 21st of April? Sure. So, yeah, thank you. We did at the beginning of the year when we were planning EWE Top 2020, we'd always planned a virtual element. And we did that because we wanted to extend the reach of the event. We wanted it to be inclusive. We wanted it to reach more fundraisers um, and especially fundraisers that could use inspiration and celebration, uh, even though they couldn't get to London. So when COVID-19 really took hold and we saw you know, that it just wasn't going to be possible for us to get together. We were actually the first kind of fundraising training event that cancelled their in-person event. Um, and we took that decision just because obviously it was, it was the safe and right thing to do, but we had the virtual already. And we just, what we decided was that we wanted to kind of put everything behind that, really use it as an event to bring people together. And it's great because it, it's still going ahead and what we want is for fundraisers to really back it and get behind it as a as a way to celebrate the good that is happening i imagine a lot of fundraisers right now are feeling a bit overwhelmed a bit lost a bit scared so mm. we're hoping that hundreds hopefully thousands of people will join online with us on the 21st of april and just see some of the great work that's been happening in the sector over the past 
you know, however many years and just realize that actually, yeah, we've got this, you know, we've, we've got through tough times before. Here's some great ideas that can help us to do it. And, and yeah, we've got an amazing sector. So we're hoping it'll be a, a moment of, of coming together. Yeah, no, I can certainly understand that people will be looking for some positivity at, at, at this time. And I mean, just in my experiences of, of, of Iwatot over the last couple of years, it's definitely been an event where you go along and you come, you come out feeling upbeat, enthusiastic, uh, with, a, with a renewed energy for, 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 the, for the sector and for fundraising in general. So what can people expect from this year's event? Who you got? Oh, well, this is the thing. Because it is a virtual event, it's actually... You know, I don't want to say it's way better than it has been before, because obviously, as you say, the in-person, <laughs> the in-person <laughs> events are great. But because it's virtual, you know, the, the, the possibilities on it are so much more. So obviously you will still have 18 amazing speakers talking about an idea that they wish they thought of. But what we're going to do is we're going to get those speakers in for more in-depth interviews and just, you know, ask them, why did you pick it? What was the process on it? Have you actually applied it to your fundraising and how did it help? And uh, we're going to have a few special campaign owner guests as well. So for some of those campaigns that are being spoken about, we're going to get the the brilliant minds behind it online with us to share how they actually got it off the ground and and how they how they set it up. So it's going to be much more interactive and viewers can obviously they can engage on the Fundraising Everywhere website in the chat box. They can chat with each other on video. They can chat with us if they want. So it's actually more of an experience because the viewer now can be involved, which I guess when you come to the London event, you, you just, obviously you sit and you're inspired, but this time you can actually be part of it. And speakers, we, we have some amazing speakers. We have Erin uh, Maguire, who will be joining us from Sick Kids all the way from Toronto. And obviously their campaigns have been spoken about a lot. So we're excited mm. to see what their idea that they wish they thought of is <laughs> uh, and see what they're inspired by, which would be, which would be awesome. We have uh, Camille said, Alma Donaldson is our host this year. And if you remember from last year, uh, she was amazing and won 2019's event. And we have some fresh faces as well who won the auditions for the I Want to Talk at That. So we have Jen Ruth, Laura Joyce, sorry, Laura Joyce from the Irish Cancer Society and Megan Townsend from Marie Curie. So they're going to be some fresh faces and new voices who will be telling us their ideas. Oh, and I'm excited about this one. So Alyssa Sweetman from Twitch, because obviously gaming featured a lot last year. Uh, so yes. Alyssa's going to be joining us as well to, to talk about what, what fundraising idea that she's particularly impressed by. That'll be really interesting, actually, just to hear the kind of reasons why people chose them because it's it's still the seven minute is it the seven minute format is that still oh yeah yeah you've yeah. got to keep them in, the, <laughs> gotta gotta keep, in seven minutes yeah gotta keep it in seven minutes and it's good um, with virtual because you can literally just go press stop like right that's your seven minutes. <laughs> yeah that's it but then you're gonna you're gonna have some chats and conversations with them afterwards and and and, and get a little bit more content and interview and insight from that is that right exactly yeah yeah so they'll they'll, they'll be online and uh, they'll be live as well which is fab because obviously they'll be answering your questions in real time so it's going to be different but you know we're going to work with it we're, we're going to make it we're going to make it happen and i'm really excited by it and i think there's just going to be so much more connection you know people are going to be joining us from their homes you know their normal lives are going to be going on behind them and i think it's it's just the theme of this year's ewe talk has always been connectivity so i think what's ended up happening with the event uh, just lends to that beautifully because we're going to be connected to each other in our homes at a time where we're physically you know, distanced. And I just think, you know, we can connect together. We can feel, you know, part of something 
um, but we can be inspired and, uh, and rejuvenated as well. And it'll be lovely because if we can have one virtual event that doesn't mention the C word and, you know, that's the, the COVID-19 word, uh, obviously <laughs> the other word as well, because we want this to be family friendly. You know, it, it'll just be this, you know, a few hours where you can just, you know, switch off that and, and just tune in to, to developing yourself and, and, and your charity. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds like it's going to be brilliant. As I said <laughs> earlier, I think it'll be, it'll be very welcome at, at this time, but Nikki, not, not to dwell too much on the C word, but obviously at the moment, I'm sure there's some people listening to this who are, who are getting used to, you know, working from home, maybe have never done it before. I mean, I know you've been, you know, you've obviously worked with and trained a lot of fundraisers over the last few years in, in terms of remote working, particularly those out in the communities. What's, what's your best tip at the moment for people working from home and just maybe struggling to get used to it? At the moment for the current, my usual tips would be like the standard remote work of, you know, plan your time, plan your priorities, get out for a walk, that kind of thing. I've written a blog on it, Kenneth, if you want to check it out on on my website. (laughs) But now that I'm actually like working from home during a lockdown, I think my biggest piece of advice is like, don't strive for that perfection and that normal because we're all in a situation where, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've, I'm the same as you know, I've got kids at home um, and I've just realized that I can't, you know, maybe achieve the same as what I did a few weeks ago. And I think it's just that understanding from for myself and, and from colleagues and people that I work with of everyone's going through the same thing right now. So just don't put pressure on yourself to still be bashing out the same amount of work and productivity as before, because we're in this period of transition where we're kind of dealing with worry, grief, you know, anxiety, and also, you know, other priorities and and situations that are going on at home. So just cut yourself a bit of slack. And I'm sure in a week or two, as we start to get back into the groove, you know, we'll we'll start smashing out of the park again. So it's just basically just, you know, take it easy on yourself. um, and, And just, yeah, it feels a bit weird in that, but that's okay. No, I think that's good. That's definitely good advice. Do take it easy on yourself. And Nikki, cool. Well, we'll look, we'll wrap it up there. We're going to stitch this one together with Ken's interview <laughs> that we recorded with him a couple of weeks ago, all the way from New Zealand. But hopefully this makes for a good episode. Thank you so much for your time, Nikki. Good luck with the event. And yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah. And hopefully see you online on the 21st. You certainly will. All right. Thanks, Nikki. Cheers, man. So James just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth, at Do More Good Pod. Instagram, at Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website, domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 